Hello, I'm Nick Baker, and this is the UK Wildlife Podcast. Hello, and welcome to UK Wildlife Podcast. I'm Neil Phillips. And I'm Victoria Hillman. Okay, everybody, we're going to start with the news and podcast news-wise. We had quite a good response to the last episode, say quite good, probably the best response so far, I think. We've had something like 500 downloads in six or seven days or something ridiculous. It was number one, the episode was number one in the Apple UK Nature chart. The podcast itself went to number two. I think we were either behind the Beaver Trust, in a feat of irony, or Melissa Harrison again uh, with her podcast. But it's all good. So thank you very much, everybody. We even charted in across the world. We had basically it's a podcast chart for Apple downloads only in Germany, Russia, USA, Canada, which is quite good because most of our downloads aren't through Apple either. Most of them seem to be direct or through Spotify. So yeah, I was quite pleased about that. So it obviously means we're getting a bit more popular. But I thought it'd be quite interesting to see who was listening from the furthest distance away. I know a while ago we had a couple of listeners in New Zealand, but is anyone listening still? And what was you know, if you're if you're not based in the UK, do get in touch and let us know where you're listening. It'd be great to hear. Yeah, give give us a shout on on Twitter or Facebook and yeah, let us know where you're listening from because it'd be really interesting to find out. So, Vic, have you seen anything interesting recently wildlife wise? Um actually yeah, yesterday um, and this is this is a different one for me. This is birds. Sorry to shock you, Neil, and oh. everyone else. So I was actually driving back from swimming, actually, and just locally, and maybe about 15 minutes, um, 10, 15 minutes from my house, driving along Country Road, and saw six buzzards and three red kites, all kind of together, all flying, but really quite low as well, which was amazing. I actually nearly crashed the car. Um, <laughs> but it was amazing to see as I, you know, I saw the buzzards first and then all of a sudden saw these other birds. Well, they're not buzzards. And there was three red kites and they were all like really close together, which was absolutely amazing. See, if I could have pulled over and watched, I would have done. But there wasn't anywhere to pull over. And other than that, I've seen a lot of large white butterflies this last week or so. And starting to see a lot more garden cross spiders in the garden as well. And starting to see those lovely signs of autumn now autumn's one of my favorite seasons and just watching everything change but apart from that that's about it really oh and here's a weird one i actually had a strawberry off my strawberry plants not (laughs) technically a wildlife sighting i know but it's september and i'm getting strawberries on my strawberry plants random so that's a bit weird. How about you, Neil? What have you been seeing? I've been a bit more adventurous last couple of weeks. I, for a long, boring reason, I had to get my wife's car MOT'd in Kent. So I went up on the North Downs, didn't see much while I was waiting for the car to get done. Then I had to get a tyre done. Oh, long story. But I ended up in a churchyard in North Kent where I'd heard there were some wall lizards. And I found them. I didn't even get in the churchyard. They were on the wall on the outside. And got some reasonable photos. Nothing special. But, you know, it was a, I think it was a life tick. Certainly in the UK possibly ever i don't think i've seen the you know the common wall is in europe at all and as i walked into the the graveyard a mammal ran off to the left and it was under the shade of all a beautiful old yew tree and it looked really brown i thought very brown gray squirrel i didn't really think much of it because it just disappeared i spent a bit of time walking around looking for more wall lizards but they're only in this one corner and as i walked back into church i'd haven't checked the wall again i saw my brown squirrel again but it, it definitely wasn't a squirrel and I thought, oh is that a rat oh my word it's a stoat it was huge i'd forgotten how big stoats were I hadn't seen one for so long seem to very rarely encounter or see them and i've never managed a photo in 13 years of wildlife photography i've had a few what you might call near misses i even had a weasel sit in front of me camera in hand and i'd for some reason locked the the zoom mechanism on my sigma i remember it, i remember it clearly from about 10 years ago and i missed a shot and i'm still kicking myself about it now and i thought it happened again but i crept up and it went into a big nettle bed and there was one of these gravestones that was a cross on sort of three steps like a pyramidal step sort of thing and it poked its head out and i fired off a load of shots and it came out a bit more and i fired off a load of shots and then it disappeared and then another one came out after waiting for that half hour again, and I couldn't believe my luck. And they were running around quite close to me, but they are so fast, I kept missing shots. But I did manage some, so I've got, I've actually got pictures of a stoat, so yay! And I got a taste for wall lizards. So on Sunday, I teamed up with a couple of friends of mine, and we headed all the way down to Folkestone, 
where there's a campsite where you can photograph more wall lizards. And they said it was near the cafe, but what I didn't realise was the building that they were... Well, they were on all the fence posts around, and I found one on the hedgerow, but the main spot for them was under the building next to the cafe, which was the women's shower block. <laughs> so there's three men pointing at cameras. No one seemed to be using it, thankfully. Um, I think it was at the end that was opposite the entrance as well. And yeah, it's basically it's this big concrete slab, I and mean, there's loads of cracks underneath it and over it. And there was at least four or five decent-sized wall lizards. And because of the Italian race, it is bright green and... oh absolutely beautiful we stayed about two three hours photographing them eventually got so hot that they got quite skittish and the light went so we then went and explored a little bit more of kent we found some pectoral sandpipers which were hiding in the grass but the highlight of the wall is for me that day was the bonaparte skull which to the layman looks like a black-headed skull, but it's got a a black beak and a slightly bigger black spot behind its eye. And I could genuinely tell the difference once I looked closely. So a lot of these gulls, you're like, really? That's a different species? You look like Caspian gull to him gull. And I really don't, not saying it's not a species, but it's hard to get excited about something that looks almost identical to another species. Most recent Sunday, I did something very, very dirty, which was, well, I could only call it twitching. Oh, Neil. I know. You disappoint me. I know. It's terrible. But in my defence, it was a shrike, which is, you know, quite cool. And I only went because people I'd met the weekend before wanted to go. And I thought, oh, I'll go on then. And on the way up, we've all stopped at Linford Arboretum, which is famous for hawfinches, which are basically huge finches with a massive bill and really cool. Again, I only saw it at the top of a tree, but I've got some rubbish pictures that are less rubbish than my <laughs> previously rubbish. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we went to this brown shrike site and it was full of twitchers which is not a bad thing most of them well behaved and but some of them were like standing in front of people and yeah i'm not going to get into the social distancing thing but we, we we stayed back and we saw it it was quite distant people started coming from the field from the other end and we thought ah we'll move on went to another site and <laughs> quite a surreal experience when you're going to go look for some rare birds but the car parks for a lot of people trying to get onto the beach which is next door you know to just go and build sandcastles which is not the sort of thing i normally do but it was the only place nearby that had anything worth looking at and we were looking for a red-breasted flycatcher and a browed warbler something brown warbler so yeah i don't even remember what it was called that's how memorable the bird was and i glimpsed it flying from tree to tree but i'm not going to tick it because i didn't see it well enough but the, the highlight of that bit was a certain racist twitcher and just by saying that most people know who i mean came up weirdly behind us and was like oh what are you looking at and i was pointing my camera at a gold crest i went oh a gold crest and he was sounding really annoyed because I had the audacity to make him think I was looking at something that he thought was interesting. You know, anything that annoys him was quite satisfying. <laughs> I'm and not to ashamed honest, to say. To, to a lot of people, a gold crest is really interesting. I mean, you know, a lot of people have probably never seen a gold crest. Exactly. Oh, he's just a weird racist <laughs> figure. But let's not go into that. The Shrike was good, but highlight for me was we went to Titchwell, which is always a lovely site to go to. After being a good, doing a good job of, you know, ticking all the social distancing boxes that they have to legally, I think we just walked straight down to the beach. One of the guys I was with was sea watching, and I noticed there was loads of waders on the beach. So I thought, oh, let's see if I can get close to them. And everything was, you know, kind of happy, but the tide was coming in quite quick, so the birds were going into the reserve. But I managed to get some black-tailed goblets, and best for me was the bar-tailed goblets, because I very rarely see them down here in Essex. They are here, but they're usually miles off, and you get the odd one. Whereas at Titchwell, it's almost 50-50 bar-tailed and black and um uh, whatever I just said, <laughs> black-tailed godwits. God, my bird names have just gone out my out the window tonight. And yeah, uh, really nice. And I, I think I got some okay photos. I haven't had a chance to look for them yet. Definitely my best photos of those two species. For a, a bird in twitching trip, I did get some okay photos. I think I took sort of 100 in the morning on, of these little things to get them. And then I took like a 1,000 when I got to the beach. So it's funny how it works out like that. But yeah, yes. so quite a productive couple of weekends. Oh, it's really productive yeah well i do i do have a little bit of excitement and for anyone that kind of knows me a little bit more personally shall we say um i actually had my first day out with a camera in a very long time today with my brand new little compact camera i actually decided i'd have a day out shooting autumn which was fantastic it was nice to be out back out with my camera again so no birds or anything exciting but it was autumn colors so lots of lichens involved with that as well which i absolutely love so it's probably the highlight of my last couple of weeks to be honest with you and smart move calling them like them because if you said lichen you know what joker would have made i, I dread to think you <laughs> no classic oh you're looking at lichen mm, i'm liking that for example oh, that one yeah yeah cringe mm-hmm. it makes me even me cringe but i have to if say you, if you could see my face right now that... <laughs> yeah. 
I think I can I can visualise it quite well actually. Right, so let's move on to follow ups and feedback. Did you want to talk about the feedback? Yeah, so we've had some lovely feedback actually. So thank you to everyone who's you know shared the podcast or you know given us some, some great feedback or even just dropped us a message to say like it. So Marty, which is Beardy Mart seventy one, who basically said that he loves the podcast, both VixPix and UK Wildlife, are hugely knowledgeable, enthusiastic, passionate and tote nature nerdy. Accessible to anyone, any age, just the right mix of geeky facts, serious science and great fun. Thank you so much, Marty. That that really does mean a lot to us because it means that we are hitting it just right. That's kind of what we're going for. Really, really big kind of thank you to everyone. And and if you do fancy leaving us a nice little comment or review, we do read them all and we do really, really appreciate them. So please do keep them coming in. So Graham, Naturally Naturally Curious Curious UK UK has been wasp spider hunting and driving his wife mad and he's posted some a nice video on there yeah and actually on on you know on the wasp spider a shout out to rob from purple crow wild as okay. well uh, which i actually i write for for purple crow wild so please do check them out but he's also inspired by our podcast actually written a nice little bit about wasp spiders and been out on the hunt for them as well yeah. And Ben and, Andrew as well. He's, he's yeah, got a picture a of a female and the egg cocoon. And I swear he just, uh, as usual, his photography is just to wind me up. The whole That's the whole reason he does it. I've, I've decided now. <laughs> but it seems like a lot of people have gone out after our wasp spider episode. There's been a lot of wasp spider love out there. So we're doing something right now. I had a look at Raynham yesterday, but I couldn't find any. No. Uh, but I did have two kids and had to move fairly fast. So <laughs> it probably didn't help because you really got to get your eye in on them. Yeah. Uh, we've got to mention David Fielding. He also said something very nice about our last podcast episode. This is Urban Ponds 101 on Twitter. Scroll down his feed a bit because it was probably a week or two ago now. He's got an amazing video. of He has loads of amazing videos of frogs and newts and stuff. Of a, it's a, it's a new, mind its own business, swimming along, and bam, a marsh frog jumps into the water and eats it. <laughs> It's amazing. Uh, I love reputation on video. Always good. Yeah. Always good. So do do give him a follow. He's he's yeah. yeah he's he's a great friend of the po- um the podcast and he's got some fantastic videos on there um as well and some pictures. So yeah. Yeah. And um probably next year, but we we've definitely been talking about maybe him coming on. I think he might come on, don't you? Oh, we'll get him on. We'll get him David, on. if you're listening to this, you're coming on the podcast next year. Yeah. Yeah, you've got a choice, <laughs> basically. He's, We're getting oh, you I should, on. I should mention, I listened to him on Jack Perk's podcast. I can't mean to mention it on Twitter. He said the most ridiculously nice thing about me and my photography on there, which was particularly fun because obviously it's on Jack Perk's, you know, underwater photographer extraordinaire. And he's saying nice things about my photography on there, but I didn't really mention his, which I, I yep, I'm totally taken as he prefers mine over his, even though that's in totally taking what he said out of context. I've decided, you know, that yeah, I'm better than Jack. Um, now moving swiftly on, and, and that is actually someone else. Jack, you're also coming on the podcast. Oh next yeah, year. we've got to get Jack on too. Yeah. Jack <laughs> is awesome. Follow Jack. He put some film up a few days ago of a minky whale. I was feeling, the day I got that stoat, I was feeling all smug. Oh, finally got a stoat. He puts footage of a minky whale off UK shores. He filmed underwater. You're like oh, but he's also filmed every freshwater fish in the UK, and he's just a blooming nice guy. And he's got his own podcast, which is. The Bearded Tip podcast. I do go check it out. I think we mentioned that before, though, didn't we? Yeah. But yeah, make sure you check that out. That's really good. He talks to all sorts of people, similar guests to us, actually, in some ways. But he's more sort of photography biased than us. But well worth for checking out that podcast. I've been listening to those as well. And Project's got one as well, which is really good. Yes, lots of waffling going yeah. on now. So we'll move swiftly on. So It's on, it's on to the news. It's, it's that time of the podcast where it is news time. Do you want rant to kick alert, us off, Neil? Rant alert, rant alert, <laughs> rant alert. Oh, it could be two rants tonight. I'm going to keep this one fairly swift because we've covered this story many times, but it just gets worse. Shocking state of English rivers revealed as all of them fail pollution tests. So I'm trying to work out for ages the EA um, and whoever's involved were basically stalling releasing a report on Britain's, well, certainly England's rivers. And when they look at the data, only 14% of them have a good ecological standard. Now, remember, that's not the top tier. There's excellent above that. I think good is around 50% of the animals they should have, which is shocking. And none of them, when you test them chemically, are clean. Not a single one in the whole of England. Let that sink in. That's every river we've got in England is polluted. It's not good, is it? So every time people say, oh, well, yeah, they came, oh, they're, they're cleanest they've been since the Industrial Revolution. They're talking out there. They've got worse in the last 10 years, put it that way. 
There's over extractions a problem as well. There's all sorts of problems we talked about before. Um, Fergal Sharkey, yes, that Fergal Sharkey, lead singer of the Undertones, is on the case. There's an increasing amount of momentum. There's even stories in the Daily Mail now. So you expect this sort of thing in the Guardian and maybe the Independent. But the right-wing papers tend to ignore these, mostly environmental things. But the Mail, I think it was Griff Reef Jones wrote an article, and the Environment Agency are now starting to panic and take notice. So, But yes, going back to Fergal Sharkey, he's tweeting something fairly cryptic about legal action but they're playing their cards close to their chests at the moment so watch this space we'll obviously cover it when more is revealed but yeah that's how sad it's got to a point we're having to take our own government to court to get them to do something so or government agencies i should say but you've got something a bit more positive haven't you vic so i've got some plant news i'm going to read the title and to be honest i think it's a bit of a far-fetched title but there we go botanist on earth new vampire plant in uk car park and this is a new variety of a parasitic plant called a boom rape that has been found and yeah it, it's it's been found in some car parks feeding well it, it's parasitic so feeding off some other shrubs yeah i read somewhere on twitter people were saying it's basically botanists have been sort of trapped in the local area <laughs> you know desperate for botany and they've <laughs> spotted it in like local supermarkets and stuff so, yeah broom rape is really cool it, that looks a bit triffidy a broom rape i don't know you must have seen broom rapes where you are i have definitely um yeah. and they are amazing plants they're really cool yeah well, Actually, you know we, we haven't really touched on plants that much neil we need to do some more plants now yeah well we're thinking orchids next year but i think maybe parasitic plants as well oh, i've got to do parasitic plants <gasps> carnivorous plants as well anyway we digress now neil's rants neil's rants we should have a jingle for this sort of thing neil. <laughs> <laughs> yes i'm gonna bring it up and yes it is relevant to conservation Cartley. We've all got these blooming COVID rules, raw six, only six of us can gather, but they made an exemption in the last minute for blood sports. So, you know, pheasant hunts and grouse shoots and stuff like that, up to 30 of them can gather together for that. Whereas, you know, you want to go see your family. If you've got more than six of you there, tough. Even outside now at the moment in England at the time of recording, want to go out organize a group bird watch anymore on the six nope can't do it field clubs have cancelled meetings photographers are losing income because they're not sure if they're breaking the rules if they bring more than six people together but if you want to go out and shoot the birds go ahead which just which is just more evidence we spoke about in the Ollo williams episode of grouse shoots being above the law it seems well not being above the law is it they, did, they had the law changed specifically for them and this was literally made the day before they brought all the they had a meeting michael gove you know high up ministers had an emergency meeting to make sure that grouse shoots could go ahead and yes there's lots of economic arguments for it and stuff like that but you know why is the virus going to respect people on a grouse hunt and not bird watchers i just i don't i don't get it i really don't but there we go on happy news we've got an amazing guest this week We've got Erica McAllister, who I was lucky enough to go on a walk with a few weeks ago around Thursday Common, as I think I mentioned in the last podcast, uh, which was really cool. She's really good fun, and I'm sure this interview is going to be great. Well, it is great, because we recorded it earlier. (laughs) (laughs) And here it is. Okay, now, on today's show, we have Dr. Erica McAllister, who is the senior curator at the Naturalist Museum in London has written two books on flies, I'm sure we'll hear a bit more about them later, is the president of the Amateur Entomological Association. No? Society. Amateur Entomological Society. Entomological. What did I say? There you go. Well, what she I don't said. know, but it wasn't the word. <laughs> I've got to leave it in. <laughs> and lots of other things, and just generally rather cool, and puts up with my antics, which <laughs> just to talk to me. But there we go. So, welcome to the show, Erica. Hi, Hi Erica. Hi. Welcome on the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. We've been uh, aiming to get you on since we've been on. You're on the initial list of people to get on you. Uh, so, uh, uh, but when we found out you had a book coming out, we thought, well, hold off till she got the book. Do you want to sneak a quick plug in for the new book while you're on um, topic? Yep. It's, um, it got published a couple of weeks ago now, I think. The Inside Out of Flies. And basically it is just to look as it describes itself under the bonnet of flies. So, you know, when you're sitting in the living room and a fly is just going round and round the lampshade and you're like, huh? Well, when I sit and look at a fly going round and round the lampshade, I'm absolutely amazed because the mechanics of how it's up there, what it's doing, what it's seeing, what it's thinking, how it's behaving, was basically an inspiration for the book. And it was to kind of introduce everyone to how funky flies are and how funky 
they can basically look in comparison to their basic blueprint. So you have an image of a little house fly and flies just like laugh at that. They're just like, no, I want to be something different. I want to have eyes on the end of stalks. I want to have flags coming out of my abdomen. I want to have like hairy balls coming off my legs. All of those sorts of things. And so this book was basically a little romp through some of the mechanics of these flies. I've already had The Secret Life of Flies, which I've now nearly finished. I had it. I lost the, my copy of the book, but it was really good. Excellent book. It, it did really well, didn't it? It sold quite a few copies. And it, um, won an award. It won an won award. An award. Didn't it get it it got something like the New York bestsellers or something, didn't it? It got New York Times bestsellers. It did um I had a a very nice review. Very, very, very nice review and um got over to New York. Talked to um the newspaper over there, did a Facebook Live, which is really good. It's done really well in America. It's gone Japanese and it's I believe going Chinese. I look so much better in Japanese than I do in English. It has to be said. Um, just I just feel you know a bit, little bit more important, but yeah. So it's it's done. I'm really pleased. You know, it's it's got through to a lot of people, and people like you, like naturalists who just ignored flies for years. Nobody looks at them, and so you know it's really nice to finally get through to people that flies are animals as well, and they need loving as well. Yeah, it certainly did that. I mean, I saw lots of people talking after reading your book going, I had no idea how interesting flies were. I just, yeah, because talk, say fly to someone, they think house fly, like you say, maybe mosquito, if they know that's actually a yeah. fly, not some other insect. Maybe hover flies, and well, even people like me like the robber flies, but not a lot of people are aware of those, unfortunately, because they are rather good ambassadors for flies, I think. But it's a really interesting book. I do suggest buy both the books, guys. Not, not just because you come on the show. <laughs> Seriously, go. <laughs> I would have said it if you hadn't. Well, if you said no, I might not. <laughs> well, there we go. So, flies. Now, some of you might be thinking, Erica McAllister, I've heard that somewhere. And if you haven't heard it from the book, it's because you've been on pretty much everything I can think of, Radio 4 and all the loads of other podcasts and stuff like that. And they always ask you that same boring question, what's the point of flies? But we don't ask that sort of rubbish here. I'm going to ask you, why are flies so freaking cool? Because um, they get everywhere, they do everything. And there's no other group of animals that basically can get where they do. They, they migrate across a, a you know, continent, which your dragonflies may do that. Mm-hmm. The flies do it oh so more funky. They scuba dive. They live in the bottom of caves. They live in the Antarctic. They live in the sea. You know, they, they are probably the best explorers we know. And then also, just in their life cycles, they've got so much more variety. You've got flies that the larvae ride around the backs of freshwater crayfish. You know, like they're the hell's angels. You've got, uh, you've got maggots that live off the nostrils, up the nostrils of a camel. You've got all sorts of crazy stuff, which, you know, just thanks to the diversity of these flies, they are, they're so ubiquitous. They're so much fun. They're just, I don't know, I, I, I come from an ecology background. And when you come from an ecology background, you're just so interested in interactions and you're so interested in, in how things are and you can't go anywhere without going, oh, look, there's a fly. And so I think people ignore them at their peril and ignore them at their own waste because they're so important. They're so, um, they're just, I really like them. I think you may have picked that up. Yeah. <laughs> just, just a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I would oh. go on and on about it and I've got a stop <laughs> no that's what you're here for <laughs> i mean you know yeah. some of these groups like you said like the flies they just they need someone to really champion them you know yeah. I, I kind of notice everything small i don't tend to take that much notice of birds and mammals admittedly the smaller things when i see stuff out and about it's it's kind of a little bit of everything for me yeah you know but i it's think been, it's interesting because uh, you know i've been studying ecology for so long and insect ecology that was like my you know my birth passion and all the papers ignore flies they're like if you look at star biology papers and that and they say oh yeah we we, we can't identify them you you look through uh, malaise samples this passive uh, method of collecting insects and they're like oh that's dominated by flies but we don't know what they are and it's like do you know what why why are you ignoring me <laughs> they, they are high up to identify in comparison to like the the day-flying mutants that are butterflies, but they offer so much more ecological functionality and diversity. There's just a lot of them. They're great. 
Yeah, even if, if you just stick to the British species, there's there's plenty there. I mean, top of my head, you can think of the soldier fly larva, that are like little armoured tanks that you find at the edge of pond. Well, obviously in Pond Man, I, I love those things. Find them around the edge of the pond, and then they do a really weird thing where they pupate inside the larval skin, which is just a bit odd, really, for insects, isn't it? Just, Wait, like you know, if, uh, <laughs> basically, with flies, you go, that was a bit odd. Yeah. Everything was, well, that was a bit odd. Yeah. And it, it's like, <laughs> you know, flies, there's a there's a group of uh, bat flies that when the female's copulated, she will rip her legs off, her wings off, invaginate her head into her belly, and then stick what remains through the side of her back. And it's like, no, that's a bit odd. <laughs> Yeah. So how, how do you even do that? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I try and physically show people and realize it's just it's just not going to happen. What I find amazing is how on earth did that happen in the first place? What sort of thing was like? Oh, oh do you know what? Um, I've, I've I've ripped my legs off. That might be useful, and therefore that trait sticks. How on earth does he, you know? How do these flies think of doing that in the first place? Did one day accidentally their legs fail off and it was more successful? So then they, their offspring went, do you know what? We're going to do the same. I, this is this is what I just think is fascinating. We've got so much to study in such minute little creatures. And we, we spend so much time studying primates. And we're like, oh, come on. Mm. Let's have something more fun and more adverse and, 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 and just let's, let's go for it. Yeah. Well, it's a bit like... Oh, well, my personal favourite fly, which is no secret to anyone that's ever seen my Twitter feed, hornet robber flies. They're, they're probably they're, well, they're our biggest fly, aren't they, arguably? They're a predator, they're really interesting. And you look at their larval habits and it's associated with dung. Feed on dung beetle larva, mm-hmm. we think. <laughs> and you're like, I mean, I mean we, we really, like of these 7,000 or so species of UK flies, we know only about 40% of their larvae. And that, that's incredible. Yeah. You know, uh, and to have something like the Acillus clabronophonus, the hornet robber fly, that was a, it's a BAP species, a biological action plan species. It, it's very important. We have got a very good population in the UK, but it's small and we need to find out about it. And we've been studying it for years. And you're right. We go, ah, we think it does this. We, we, we think it does that. And um, I get asked a lot about really specific questions. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know, you know. Loads of us don't know. It's, there's yeah. so much to learn yet. As Attenborough says, we just don't know. Of course, you with the your mate David Attenborough. Yeah, I sewed in some fly genitalia. <laughs> he told the film crew that he felt inadequate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. Good times. Yeah. Yes. I'm a professional. Yes. Well, the best professionals do stuff like that. So, uh, <laughs> And let's face it, David Attenborough probably loves that sort of thing. So... Uh, he says, yeah, <laughs> not like that, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of fly porn, lovely. Yeah, I mean, dipterists do probably are the ones who go on about it the most. There's no no getting around it. Um, but we have to, we just, you know, because we have to do most of our identifications just on genitalia. No, when you've got hundreds of black flies that all look alike, that's the only thing that differs. I think a lot of entomologists are guilty of that. Like people work on money spiders as well. It's a... Uh, Tiny little things in the piddly pups and mm. we're on an yeah. already tiny little animal. Yeah, I was saying this already teeny yeah. tiny. Yeah. Oh, I so always the... marvel at people who work on um, midges oh. because you've still got to dissect the gen, you know, the genitalia, and you've got to look at the genital structures. And you, again, with a lot of the really small, uh, small microhymes, mm. that you're dealing with specimens or creatures that are millimeters long, like two or three millimeters, and yet you're trying to identify their genitalia. Like wow. Okay, that's quite that's quite a niche. That, that's definitely dedication as well. Definitely dedication yeah. to the to the cause. Well, yeah. actually, interestingly, talking about sexing flies, we did have a question come in from Daniel Bridge through Instagram, and he actually said the sexes of hoverflies and possibly other flies can be told apart by the eyes. Is this actually true? And if so, why would this be? So, with some flies, yes, right. That's not universal across all flies which is really annoying because it works in horse flies, it works in some hoverflies, it works in some house flies, but it's not universal. And the reason is because the female is interested in providing for her offspring. The male is interested in finding the female. So the males will have more omatidia, more of the eye facet, 
or we'll have just larger eye brackets, which usually means that the eyes therefore meet at the top so they don't form an eye bridge. So as you get, so our collection is dominated more with the blood sucking um, individuals by females <laughs> because obviously they're coming to us. And in the horse flies, it's really easy to see. The male horse fly is just basically all eyes. There is a few examples where there are some females uh, just have got slightly more crazier eyes than males. And that's in a group called Papunculids, which are, what's the com- Big-eyed flies, that's what they're called. <laughs> that's a good name. <laughs> yeah, you can see why they've done that. Because the female is looking for a, a host for her offspring. So she needs to have a more acute eyesight than the male. But generally, because the males are just about the flirt, they basically have more of the eyes going on. So you mentioned there's 7,000 species of fly in the UK. That yeah. that makes them the most species-rich group in the UK, does it? Or Sadly, no. Annoyingly, oh. the Hymenoptera have got more. Oh, um, Gavin Broad is doing a superb job of describing every ignuminoid. And oh. um, the parasitoids, yeah, they will, they will make up. We have about four families that are incredibly species rich, but no one is working on them. So we just need someone to go and do them. The problem is, is they are incredibly morphologically similar. So it will probably be, uh, we'll catch up when we can actually do some like bulk sequencing and figure out what's going on with a lot of these creatures. And they did a paper out of Canada and they were extrapolating from what they think they've got and what they've got in their museum. And they realise that their estimates are pretty good with all creatures apart from Hymenoptera and Diptera. And then there's one family in Diptera that just laugh at every other family. And it's called the Cessitomides. And these are gall midges. Now, you get them all the time, but they're really... I just look at them. I want to throw them out of flies just because they're really hard. Um, but apparently that's not how taxonomy works. Oh. And a lot of people do do them anyway. But they estimated, they're, they're extrapolated, and they realised that there was probably about 1.8 million species of cestamide on the planet, which, how many species of described animal are on the planet so far? About the same. <laughs> so, um, you know, we realise, I, I think that's too crazy a figure, yeah. but we do realise that there's a hell of a lot to go when it comes to Ditra. Coleopterists, the beetle people, the hymenopterists, the wasp and bee people, and you guys, the dipterists, you've you all got a, a little bit of a, oh, we've got the most, because you read all the books, it says, oh, coleopterists, you know, beetles are winning. No, coleopterists will admit they're the most described species. Yeah. But when it comes to species richness, it will be the hymenopterists and the dipterists. The lepidopterists, the butterflies and moths, they're good, <laughs> but they're, they're, they're definitely a, they're a, a safe fourth place. So, and coleoptera, third place. Diptera and Hymenoptera, it's going to be a tough fight. I can see it. The Champions Leagues of insect species richness is going to happen. Come back in about 30 years. We may be able to give you some more of an estimate then. Well, you know, if we keep making species extinct at the rate we're going, it'd be less to count, wouldn't it? So, you know, we're helping the old taxonomy myself. (laughs) Positive spin. (laughs) Well, what is really sad is that we've probably got a load of material, bulk collections done in the 70s and 80s. So you're probably looking at extinct species already. And that's a really like a, a real shock of what's to go on. It's like we've really got to get ourselves organized. Taxonomy is the basis for conservation. We have to get out there and describe more, but we need funds, don't we? Oh yes. And unless it's a, a big sexy monkey or crocodile, it's quite hard to get yeah. it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't actually mean monkeys are sexy, people are wondering. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, not making any comments. No. <laughs> oh, so we've got another question, haven't we, Vic? We'll go with the more serious one first. And Graham from Naturally Curious UK said, are there any domestic or commercially grown crops in the UK that are dependent on fly species for pollination? Oh, loads. <laughs> Absolutely loads. There's two hobby flies, Episurphus boltiatus, Upioides corolla. I can't say it properly. They're migratory hoverfly species and they do as much work for crops as for honeybees. But, you know, are we talking species specific that if we get rid of them? Uh, bell peppers, well, they're not in the UK, mangoes are species specific. Uh, a lot of the carrots are pollinated predominantly by flies, which is interesting because there's also a fly that eats the carrot. Yeah. It's a <laughs> carrot <laughs> fly, yeah. Yeah, it's the carrot fly, exactly. But there's, they're really, really important when it comes to pollination and food. 
but we're also now growing flies themselves for food. So they're one of the few insects that we're looking at properly for food for our livestock. So there's a fly called Hermatria lucens, the black soldier fly. And this is now being shipped all over the world. And it's brilliant because it gets rid of our waste and our livestock waste and our agricultural waste and everything like that. And then we can feed it back to animals. <laughs> so it's a, it's a totally organic, proper system. It's not good for the fly necessarily, but um, <laughs> it's really protein packed. So instead of feeding them like excess fish stocks and things like that, we're feeding that agriculture, these uh, fly. And it is brilliant. And you can buy little units to put on your little kitchen at home. So you can put your compost in and the flies munch at it. And then they, they get rid of all the nice organic waste and they defecate really good protein. You shouldn't necessarily eat those ones. And in the interest in the Food Standards Authority is looking into what we can consume when it comes to insect protein. Because there's still quite a few legislation to be sorted out. But uh, it, it, they're just brilliant converters of energy. So not only are they pollinating, we're also being able to feed off them. Plus, unlike baby bees that do nothing, right? You just sit there and get fed by their aunts. And I'm like, yeah, give me all the food. The little little maggot is out there working, working from day dot. It's like the Yorkshire of, of like the insects because they're out there working their cells silly. Because a lot of them, not only are they decomposers, a lot of them are predators. And that episurface, the marmalade hoverfly, its larvae are aphidophagus, so they just chomp. And I think it's something like they consume between 400 and 700 aphids before they're an adult. So not only are they pollinating our crops, they're getting rid of the things that munch our crops. So they're absolutely top species. It's really worth noting because, you know, you see so much in the press about, oh, we have to save the bees because, you know, they pollinate. But actually, there's a lot of other things that pollinate as well. And there's that almost do more than the bees do. But because they're not, I don't know, oh, I don't know if you call a bee cute and fluffy, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, but um, but most of the time, or a lot of the time, actually, they are looking at hoverflies when they see cute and fluffy and bee. Mm. And that's, you know, we've got to get people used to seeing what, uh, actually looking at what they're seeing. A lot of our species aren't adaptive to honeybees, our plants. Honeybees don't have a tongue that is suitable for a lot of our plants. And so when they say save the honeybees, it's actually, well, that's quite pointless. And honeybees will leave marks on flowers to put off other insects from going to them. So in times there, they can be quite detrimental as well. Mm. So we really want to do think about looking after all the insects and planting flowers that are suitable for all insects, but also creating larval habitat that are suitable so I'm not saying go defecate in your garden, create a nice habitat <laughs> for, uh, you know, some maggots, but create a pond, compost, do everything like this. This is what we need to do. We need to start creating a diversity again. There's a hoverfly larval page group on Facebook and they were getting everyone making hoverfly reservoirs. You literally just get a little container, yeah. chuck a bit of wood, chuck a bit of leaves in, tuck it in a corner and you get all the cool um, rat tail maggot larvae, which are these maggots with huge great long tails which are snorkels and they just look amazing they are anal spiracles they breathe out their bums come on I mean full stop that is a morphological wonder so you concentrate your mouth parts on feeding and your bottom for breathing and it's telescopic isn't it that's I didn't realize that exactly the hoverfly larval group are brilliant and they've been going around a lot of schools to make these larval lagoons Mm. there's a huge amount of work and and there's many species that do it, and some of them are very, very rare. So it's really good and really important, and we start looking at these again. You go and have a look at a rot hole in a tree. You scoop them out and have a little look, and it's amazing what you can find. I do like a rat-tailed maggot. I, th- I think they're great, you know, great species for getting children involved as well, because, you know, you just tell children, well, you know, they breathe out their bum. Children yeah. love that kind of stuff. You know, get them. They eat poo. You know, they love that you know, crazy stuff. I, I, I don't think I grew out of not liking that crazy stuff. I think no, well, that we didn't either, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, you know, everybody in the process of writing a children's book. And, and obviously, it's all those sort of facts. It's a whole insect book. So I've had to learn about your insects. Well, it's been really good fun because it's everything I find funny and amusing about nature. And we've got to remember that nature is, 
it's not this clinical thing we see on TV. It, it is dirty and disgusting and revolting and, and brilliant and death and carnage. And I describe um, your garden as basically a 1980s nightclub. Everything is either trying to cop off with each other or beat each other up. And it is, it's basically yeah, pretty- that. That pretty much sounds like my garden right now. It really yeah. does. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it is. I mean, there's no point pretending it's cute with everything loving each other and living in this paradise. No, they they are basically trying to kill each other, and it's like, well, okay. And that could even be the you know males and females. It is always funny when you get one of those sorts of people that's trying to explain the countryside to you, going, oh, you know, it's not like Disney, you know, it's not animals are far from wood. It's like, yeah, I'm an entomologist. <laughs> this <laughs> is nothing i watch things suck the life out of things while they're still alive you know they you don't do. have to tell me you don't have to explain like a little child what it's like you know apologist yeah. oh so, you I know tadpoles oh getting engulfed by a, a leech or you know having their inside sucked out while they're trying to swim away by a back swimmer you know? oh like i write about a fly that is a midge that when it's in cop the female will pierce through the male's eyeballs, release a digestive enzyme. Oh, nice. So he dissolves internally. She sucks him dry. And then he is so desiccated, he breaks off, leaving his penis behind, which he just flicks out afterwards. Nice. Which I think is the most romantic of dates, isn't it? <laughs> you have a... It's just perfect. Awesome. But I hope that he, he managed to... um Yeah. Oh, I nearly mentioned... well. I nearly mentioned scorpion flies there, but that's a sister taxon. No, but the snipe fly does it as well. With the uh, the male has to bring a neutral gift, doesn't he? Otherwise, she might try and eat him. Uh, um, yeah, it's um, most of the empis, the yes, dance yeah. flies. Yeah, yeah. So he will he will often bring a gift of a fly wrapped in a ball of saliva, which apparently is very nice. And um, some of them will actually have silk glands on the front of their legs, which they will wrap as gifts. Um, some of them pretend to wrap up gifts and just wrap up balls so by the time she's opened it he's like i've got my way and i'm off this is a bit bad there's a lot of sneaky behavior flies i would argue are some of the flirtiest animals on the planet they've got more (laughs) secondary adaptations going on than anything it's just ridiculous there's a i basically call it a fly porn lab in singapore and they are looking at um, sepsis, which are the small scavenger flies or the lesser dung flies is another name for them. And they've got the, the, they look like little ants with wings. You would see them in the UK a lot. And uh, they basically just flirt. As far as I can figure out, they flirt. But they've got so many different ways. They kissed. They, the they have their wings. Like they they do, there's a lot of wing waving going on. I've seen those, yeah. They had a, a conference, fly conference, 400 people in the same room studying flies. That was a lot of genitalia talking. But one of the <laughs> one of the plenary talks was all these videos. And honestly, when the flies were kissing, we were all a bit like, ooh, a bit intimate now. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's not very British. They, what are they doing? <laughs> like, ooh, please, we can't watch this. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's a huge amount of different behavioural traits going on that you could recognise. Drosophila, the good old vinegar fly, they've got sex cones. Where he would stroke the female on his front leg. It's cute. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I think we've we've got another question, haven't we, Victoria? Well, yeah. So this is a <laughs> this is a bit more of a, a fun a, question. It's really. a very much a Daniel Bridge question. I know. Daniel it is very much a Daniel Bridge question. So I hope you're ready. Why can flies find their way into your home through the tiniest gap, but can't find their way back out through an open window? Or massive patio door. <laughs> right. Now, I've been asked this question about the same amount of time as I've been asked, what's the point of flying? <laughs> so, I'm going to, like, there's, right. So, one of the reasons is, so, who's Daniel Bridges? Daniel Bridges, I don't know about you, but without making a personal comment, but humans stink, okay? We are giving off so many chemicals, and we live in these houses that stink. We I can are, accept Daniel sinks, yes. Hmm? I can Sorry, Daniel. <laughs> but, um, we think. Now, flies uh, are amazing. They've got their, their sensitivity to smell is extraordinary. And the ones that specialised in eating necrotic or decomposing bodies are, are even good. So they can smell a dead body from kilometres away. So they can smell your house and you from a large distance. 
and they're tenacious. The ones that are coming in, not just wanting your food. You know, these are mothers. And mothers will do anything to provide the best chance in life for their offspring. You fathers are basically, you do your bit, and then you're off to sow your little seeds around the world again. So they were getting everywhere. Now, the advantage of once you've been inside, you've got a nice, protective, warm environment. So why would a fly want to leave a protective, warm environment if it's got everything it needs? So males were going because they know females will come to a food source. Females were going because they know there's a food source. There's an obvious reason why they're determined to get in. Now, why they can't necessarily see a window, why you think they're hitting a window. Also, they're not actually hitting a window because they will land on the window. They don't headbutt windows. Okay? They are they are very good at sensory. But they will see they see differently. Um, flies don't just see like us. They see in UVA, UVB, and UVC. And both UVB and UVC um, can't penetrate glass. So the polarizing effect that's going on and how they see is going to be slightly altered at this point. And we don't actually know how it impacts on the whole vision. But you've also got to think that the, the wind turbulence is gone near the glass and things like that. So they suddenly go to a, a big patio door and it's like, woo, it's all a bit crazy here. I might as well go back. So there's lots of reasons why they might do it. On those glass panes as well, they flies taste with their feet. So there's loads of little signatures left behind. You know when they always land on your um, lampshade? It's because you've got the, the tails of a thousand flies that have been there before there going, do you know what? Jeremy had success here. And Sylvia, she's a good woman. We know she's here. So they've got all these different stories that they're picking up. So what we see is stupidity is them probably going, I've got food, I've got sex, I've got protection. Why earth would I go out? Makes, Makes sense. sense. I, I did actually enjoy sitting watching a fly while I was having my dinner tonight, actually, because I've been out all day, got in, opened the back door. First thing, you know, three or four flies fly in. And yeah. Yeah, they're, I don't know, they're still flying around the kitchen somewhere probably. But one of them, I could, it did actually just keep flying in to the door. It was like, boing boing and you actually heard, heard it just hitting and it just kept going I, I mean eventually i did feel sorry for it and i just ushed it out of the door but it was I mean, quite amusing they, it? It, is, it was quite a big it was a big big fly as well there's big ones going around at the moment it yeah this this like huge because like when it flew yeah. in i was like is that a bumblebee i was like oh, yeah no, it's, it's fly. There's big californids coming in and they're blue bottles or blow flies so it's that time of the year where they you know they, they're getting rid of that they've either copulated or they want to lay down their offspring to for next year. And then there's the cluster flies that are all start coming in soon as well, which are really cute. So the flies that come together and they mass emergence in the spring and everyone's like, oh my God, I'm going to die. There's all these flies. No, they just want to get out. Don't, don't panic. We're beginning to be able to finally look at what's going on. So there's people looking at the eyesight to understand if there's anything about the glass that's causing that. There's people who are looking at the organic chemicals, the volatiles, to figure out where they're going on like that. So, I mean, maybe the flies are just taking the piss. Maybe they're just think it's fun. I don't know. Just got a bit lonely outside, wanted to come in and see what was going on in the house. Having a bad day. Just wanted yeah. to let you know it's, it's still there. Here's, here's an interesting one for you. Cause it's, and this is actually from me. Um, so I live in Froome in Somerset. Oh, I love Froome. And in the springtime... Every year, without fail, houses around here are inundated with tiny little black flies and they get everywhere. And it's, it lasts for about probably a couple of weeks at most. No idea where they're coming from. And it's, it's not just one house. It's pretty much most of fruit. Are these biting flies? I don't think so. I mean, I've never been bitten. They, they, get, makes... they can seem to be able to, I mean, they get in a sealed picture frame. How on earth they do that, I really don't know. Um, but they just get everywhere. Any... Are you near any fungus farms or anything like that? Not that I'm aware of. There so, was talk yeah. of it being a problem with one of the sewage works. It could be. The problem is, you by saying it's a tiny black fly, you've only narrowed it down to about 3,000. So I'd have to kind of have a look. I think it could be <laughs> a swarming black fly. Well, maybe I could be generous and I could narrow it down to 1,000 with that. You're welcome but, to come next spring. <laughs> okay. Or just collect a few. I, I, that could work too. <laughs> I have, I get so many, the press phoning me up going, oh my God, somebody's house has been invaded by flies. What are they? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> You're just going to have to send me some. And even then it's going to be a bit of a like, oh, 
So if, if there are, there's a lot of aquatic flies, black flies that will come out in swarms, but generally you'll be bitten by those. Yeah, no, uh, we don't. I mean, certainly I've, both, neither me and my husband have ever been bitten by them. They, they, they just, little. I, they're teeny tiny, you know, we're talking a few millimetres. Millimetres. See, they could be uh, flat-winged fungus gnats, which it, it could be a mass emergence. They hang around sewage and they could be secoded. Oh, they're really cute. They could be, they could be all sorts of things. That's the problem. Sorry. Oh, it's just, it's something that, you know, it pops up on our, our Facebook group every year, almost without fail at the same time, that everyone's houses are inundated with these flies. And I had a, a mass emergence of bee flies this year. Ooh. Slightly different. I know, that was cute. Be found where you are. You should get some bee flies as well. You should also be able to see some of the other types. You get. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. I did have. I did have. Actually, you know, I did have quite a few bee flies in the garden this year. We've just converted our gardens. We actually ripped up the decking this year and converted it to slate chippings and kind of wildflower patches, which will look amazing when it grows. Yeah, <laughs> but there's loads of like hold hidey holes and stuff for everything. And yeah, I had quite a lot of bee flies this year. I can't remember which one now off the top of my head. That's my first time in have... spring for me, bee flies. Just one. Well, the first one I see is means spring has begun in my book. Yeah. I don't count frog spawn, I don't count what is it, swallows, I don't count nightingales arriving. It's bee flies for me. No, and just... generally it usually means I'm late for work. Right. This year was slightly different. Yeah. This year I got the <laughs> yeah. entire experience. Yeah. And I think I must have taken about five thousand photos of bee flies. They are just the fact that their mothers are also the best example of maternal care. They're just lobbing their eggs around a garden, and (laughs) it's it's just how I, you know, the way I was raised. It's fine. Do you know what I've got? I just remembered I've got. I keep forgetting to edit. I've got slow motion footage. I think of that happening in a uh, because they lay there. Is it solitary bees? Isn't it the ones that nest in the ground? Yeah, yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. It's, the larvae are amazing because the larvae go through two different morphological stages, which is quite unique as well. So you've got a very active, like, toddler stage, which is just basically try and get in the nest as quickly as possible and, and find its host. And then they become like this teenager and they become this blob where they're just feeding off this, like, bee grub, which is quite, it's quite fun in its own right. We could just go through all the different fly groups that I know off the top of my head. I mean, you've got almidges, what do they call them? Sewer flies, I think. Some Yeah, drainage flies, sewage flies. It's the uh, cicadas that they also, some of them come out in mass emergencies. They, I call them like the panic flies because they like walk around like, oh no, and then they move directly. Oh no, and it's like, <laughs> what have they forgotten to do? So, but they're, um, they're larvae, they're beautiful, they're absolutely mm. wonderful, but the larvae like have rubber rings <laughs> floating around the sewage. <laughs> It's like a blessing. <laughs> because I've spoken to a few freshwater ecologists, and none of them have found them. I think the sort of habitat you tend to find them in, in any numbers, it's probably not where you're going to stick a pond net. It's going to be. No, I did my stinky. PhD on a wetland, yeah. and um, it was basically a lot of these dank oh. and yeah. dank species, which I just absolutely love. Um, hence why I got into coronamids in the first place. And how I ended up at the Natural History Museum. Mm. So I have a lot to thank these these oh. um, anoxic creatures for. Lovely. Chironomids is what, if you're a fish keeper, you know, is bloodworm, isn't it? But there's yeah. there's a few nice little species of those as well. Well, a few. <laughs> a few hundreds. <laughs> yeah. They are one of the most species-rich groups out. And they are arguably one of the most adventurous <laughs> out of all the insects. And therefore animals. Yeah. So the largest purely terrestrial animal in Antarctica is a midge that's three millimetres long or four millimetres long. <laughs> so it's, you know, and they, they are, they can go into extreme temperatures. So they managed to cryo-preserve a chronomid and bring it back to life, which is a bit hardcore. But this is great. I mean, it's all just fun and games for us. But we're actually thinking about how they do it because we're looking at for when we do for space travel. Hmm. So they're looking at coronamids, how we can do it to our own body. So that's quite cool. Is, is it the coronamids you have to dissolve the body to get the jaw to identify them? Is that the? So yeah, so we that's how you you identify well, the larval stage. Hmm. The head capsule remains, 
So what you do is that you would basically just yeah disintegrate the rest of the body to get the head capsule. Then you put them on little slides and you have a look for their teeth and their teeth look like crowns. And what is amazing is that they've all got very specific ecological requirements. And my old colleague Steve at the Natural History Museum, he developed a midge thermometer where you, he could do ice cores and he could go back in time 30,000 years and look at what species were there and be able to tell you the climate condition. Awesome. So we can use these creatures to look at previous uh, extinctions, previous climatic events, and we can use them to help and enable us to predict what's happening in the future as well, which okay. is amazing. Yeah, cause I, I, my master's degree was looking at ostracods in sediment samples. So I obviously come across what yeah. the other groups in Chironomid, it's a head capsule, isn't it? Yeah, as you said. Yeah. It's, it's another thing along, and you had the uh, water flea epi. Look like saddles, so it's the egg yeah, cases yeah. of them. So there's, there's all these little things that you find in limno- limnological samples, isn't it? I think um, it's amazing because chironomids, I think, have 13 different types of globin. Like our hemoglobin, we have yeah. one, they have that 13 different. They can store oxygen in their hemoglobin, they have big molecules in comparison to us. I mean, it's just amazing what's going on with a lot of these creatures, yeah, because red blood. It's unusual for insects, isn't it? And they're one of the few that do. So, blood. But yes. Well, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. Okay. Vague, vague. Well, Dumb it, it down a little bit. Dumb it down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But when I talk to kids, I quit that way. Put it that way. Yeah. But oh, they're amazing creatures. I mean, we could go through all the groups, but I think we'll have to. I have to bring it up and probably maybe finish on this group. And guess which group I'm going to bring up? Rubberflies. <laughs> <laughs> <Robert Flies. laughs> yeah, we had a little adventure. I, think I mentioned it in the last podcast, didn't I? We had a little adventure on Fursley. Uh, try to track down the biggest and best fly in the UK, in my opinion, which is the hornet robber fly. But I mean, there's so many good things about this group. I think I'll let you, the expert, tell us a few um, things. About them. So I, I, this is, they are probably the most amazing predators on the planet. There's no getting around it. They are, we're, we're looking at their flight mechanisms and how they can quickly change mid flight. We're now, you know, being able to do amazing slow motion to actually figure out what's going on and how they anticipate the movement of their prey so not only are they like the badass predators it's what they do next which kind of sets them aside because these are a group of neglected venomic species i.e they're venomous so a lot of people don't give flies any credit for being you know badass and it's like back off there's loads of flies that are venomous in fact when you're being bitten by a mosquito it's probably injecting a tiny little bit of venom into you to figure out what's going you know to subdue what's you know, your uh, so you don't respond but these flies are they've been looking at them and they have unique venoms and in fact they have about 30 unique venoms to science and their venoms uh, the family name is acillidae so their venoms are called acillins so you can now name 10 venoms because they're called acillin one acillin two <laughs> so if you don't remember anything you can remember i know 10 venoms everyone <laughs> There's a lot more other names, but just remember, it's still in one to ten, and that's it. Uh, which is amazing. They're a neurotoxin. Some brilliant historic work looking at them, which is horrific. The epic behind it. They're like, what are they doing? And I, this, they're doing it to other insects as well. But it's like, oh, they're so. And we got this wasp, and we paralysed it, and then we did that, and we stabbed it, and it's like, oh my god, these papers. If you read them nowadays, but um. Unlike a lot of them, like a lot of the species, even the females have moustaches, which I will always make a joke about that being a woman of a certain age. And, uh, you know, it's just, but also their, their behaviour, their mating behaviour, their looks. And one of them in a species in America has been shown to kill hummingbirds, which, you know, it's really quite nice to see an invertebrate just taking down a vertebrate. Like, yes. Always a fan of invertebrates taking yeah. out vertebrates. Me, yeah. I mean, I should point out there is a dragonfly in the states that also has been known to take out. I mean, but not that it's a competition or anything. <laughs> it's just um, they they just are extraordinary beasts, and uh, and there's no getting around it. They are brilliant beasts. I mean, every time the BBC or whatever does a, a documentary of predators, I, I just absolutely lose my self respect because it's like, oh come on, you are just so neglectful when you're not looking at the insect predators because there's some really amazing things going on and the adaptations and you know some of them will catch on the wing and some of them will like what's it called stealth predators and they will just sit and watch and wait and attack. ambush predators. 
ambush predators thank you <laughs> which you know and it's great and so when you go looking for them and i had to go collecting for them you have to become them you have to like because some of them would come back to exactly the same spot and you have to remember that and the one that we saw together the acillus cabroniformis is the one i've been trying to see for 15 years so yeah when i did see it i may have done a little dance Mm. they're always no, dancing yeah and lots yeah, and lots of smiling <laughs> yeah i i think my face definitely ached after yeah. that day that was nice to see uh, that that was really good yes yeah. oh yeah had you done the start of the show I w- um, where we talk about what we've seen recently i would i would have asked you if some handsome man had showed you anything good recently but um, <laughs> uh, which oh, would have set myself my up yeah yeah so that, that, he found it didn't he actually technically yeah. yeah he did i'm very good at setting myself up to fail like that <laughs> yeah no he was very good actually he's been genuinely quite good yeah uh he's he's got an eye which is great i i'm gonna definitely keep him because he's yeah. gonna go out yeah he's, he's got definitely a robber fly eye which is a very useful trait i didn't realize this is a trait in a partner Mm. Oh, no, it, my wife, my wife, that's probably why I married her, to be honest. <laughs> she's very good. <laughs> at, she's, not, she's not an angel. Well, just wildlife generally. She'd be like, that bird looks different now, and there's a hobby flying over that I've missed because I'm too busy looking for marsh frogs, you know, and stuff yeah. like that. So she's pretty good at that. And my daughter is, oh, look, daddy, spider. And there's a spider about 10 meters away on a on a path. You know, I can spot something five meters. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm raising you, right? That's good. I mean, now, it's good to have these civilians. Yeah. Yes. Like they, are, they are good at spotting yeah. things. What on earth's that? And you can go, wow. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, think sometimes when we go out, we, we're so you know you're so focused on looking for one thing. Mm. Whereas I think when yeah. like, sort of like civilians, if you like, <laughs> are going out, they're looking at everything, so they yeah. notice more. Actually, sometimes we um I used to uh, go around. I'm an undergraduate, really good friends, but she was a bird watcher and I was an entomologist. But it just meant we just walked into trees because she yeah. was looking up <laughs> and I was looking down, and neither I, were looking. <laughs> I, I actually do that when I go out with one of my friends. He's he's big into his birds, so he's always looking, you know, up and for yeah. the birds, and I'm always looking at the ground for like frogs or bugs or whatever. So actually, between us, we cover pretty much everything. Oh, we miss the trees. Yeah, we're we're normally on the Somerset levels. There's not as many trees down there. Ah, okay. Smart, this man. was up in Manchester, so it's all the peaks and the dales. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a nightmare. We were always falling over. That's probably a good time to wrap up, I think. So, Erica, where, 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 where can we find your book? Um, all good books. You can buy it online, Amazon, NHBS, Pembury Books, or you can go to the museum website and you can get it through them. Or Waterstones and places like that will we'll stock it. Please go and buy it. Yes, do buy it. I don't, I'm planning to buy that one. I've got another book to read. We're being sent to read first, and I'll be purchasing your second book. I've probably finished the first one as well. I'm one chapter away from the end, uh, so yeah. uh, looking forward to it now. Are you on the gen? Oh, no, yeah. The the, la- the penultimate chapter in this book is the genitalia, but I, you know, yeah. I kind of leave the best to last. Got to do that. Got to do that. <laughs> and where can people find you on Twitter? And I do recommend following you on Twitter because it's it's brilliant. Mm, definitely. Fly Girl NHN. Very appropriate name. And you yeah. can, if you if you struggle to, to find her once the podcast goes on, you'll see oh, that yeah. through well, the podcast brilliant. page. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Erica. It's been actually, we could probably talk for another two hours, I think, on flies because they're so <laughs> brilliant. Maybe we have to get back on again to talk about one specific group or something at some point. Thank you very Love much. You. Cheers. Thank you. Thank, thank, thank you. you so much for coming on and, and giving those flies some love, some much needed love. love. Cheers. <laughs> thank you. Take care, you two. You too. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, well, that was good to have Erica on. I told you she'd be a good guest in, I think. Yeah, she is absolutely amazing. And I have learned so much about flies. You know, I mean, they're, they're fantastic. And it's great to have someone on championing something like flies yeah. because you know it's something that i think a lot of people probably don't get that excited about or it's like you know it's just a fly but no come on they're amazing so hopefully that'll make you stop and have a closer look at some of those flies you're seeing yeah yeah they're, i'm as guilty as anyone that oh it's a fly i don't know what it is i'll just carry on and won't photograph that yeah, she is excellent we're definitely going to have to get back on at some point yeah. maybe maybe a robber fly episode because they're amazing yeah oh yeah maybe, maybe we can ask her about the bumblebee mim- mimic robber fly which i don't think we get in this country i mean this thing is huge it puts the hornet robber fly to shame in size 
absolutely massive. I've, I've seen one in Switzerland. I've not seen one in this country. I think it's got a smaller relative in, in Scotland somewhere. I think Erica told me about that. Should have asked her in the interview. But there you go. That's we'll have to get back now. Yeah. We'll have to get back now. Well, that's pretty much it from us, guys. I just All remains is me to plug my Pond Photography Workshop. Probably your last chance to book on it. It's on the 3rd of October. So go on the Surrey Wildlife Trust site if you want to photograph pond creatures with me. It's all COVID safe, so don't worry. They've got it all sorted. I've still got some copies of my book, Forgotten Little Creatures. So oh, yeah, if you're we'll looking... For something, you know, I, I hate to use the word, but they make a great present for a certain time of year. And, yeah, it's packed full of photos and facts and little historical scientific scientific nuggets of information. And all the money from those sales actually goes back into funding the project so I can continue doing my research for that. So you can pop on my website. It's only available through me. So you can only get it direct through me. So please come buy the book because yeah. I need to start funding the project for next year. And my Forgotten Little Creatures workshops are actually now live for 2021 as well. And all the details for those are on my website. So if you fancy coming out and spending a day with me in a little small group looking for various different plants, invertebrates, amphibians, maybe some reptiles as well. We go through how to find them, field craft skills in photographing them, how to identify them. So it's a little bit of everything. So it's not just a photography workshop, but all the details on my website. So please do go and check it out. Yep. And find us on social media, UK Wildlife Pod on Twitter, at UK Wildlife Podcast, all one word, on Instagram, and UK Wildlife Podcast page on facebook and we also have a uk wildlife podcast community group page so if you're not if you're on facebook do go and join that too where you can well you know we'll start doing a bit more things with it as well but uh, basically so the community of people that listen to it can all talk to each other basically and, and share can... share what you're seeing and yeah that as well yeah ask for help you know if you need some help identifying something or you've got a question get in touch and we've got some really good guests lined up for next month but our next episode will be on some yellow and black buzzy and if you're mean to them stingy things yes so there we go see you next time everybody all right take care everyone Bye. bye